Hey, this is Chuck Wright, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 41. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and for this episode, I spoke with bassist, vocalist, and composer Chuck Wright. If you're not familiar with Chuck Wright's name, you've certainly heard his music. Chuck is a former member of Quiet Riot who has performed on some of the band's biggest songs and albums. He was also a member of the band Chifria, which had a big hit in the mid-80s with the song Call to the Heart. Chuck has worked with seemingly everyone, including Alice Cooper, Greg Allman, John Waite, Eddie Money, Pat Travers, Ronnie Montrose, members of Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, Dream Theater, Mr. Big, and Kiss, and the list goes on. He's done film scores, and he's been a sideman for a lot of big names. Well, now Chuck has his own project coming out called Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. He's put together more than 30 guest musicians to help him realize this project, and it's set for release early in 2022. The first single is already out, and it's an interesting cover of Bjork's Army of Me. I spoke with Chuck about his new project, a new single, his time in Quiet Riot, and Jafria some of his various side jobs, and much more. Can't wait to bring you this, so let's get to that interview. Here we go. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very happy to have with me for this episode Chuck Wright, bass player and uh, former member of Quiet Riot. Thanks for your time today. I'm glad to be here. How are you? I'm doing great, Chuck. I am uh, pretty excited about this new project you've got called Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. Now, is this this seems to be this seems to be more of a project than a band, right? It's not real. It's not a band. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. basically uh, I had because of the pandemic, um, I had the time to get back into composing, and I recorded a bunch of songs. And um, you know, I would I contact friends of mine and go, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And they immediately go, "Let me play on it." So it ended up being I have like over thirty guest musicians on it, and uh, you know, guys from Skid Row and and Asia and Dream Theater and just, uh, you know, Mr. Big, a um, mm-hmm. bunch of different different guys, basically from that era and some newer um, like jazz fusion uh, players. And because it's it's a really diverse record musically. I mean, it's it covers a lot of territory. So, yeah, um, the first single is Out Army of Me. And that is a cover of a Bjork song, which was very surprising. How, how did you I know it really surprised? Well, you know what? What happened was, was um I was going through some files and I came across the song that I'd recorded the basic track for with the late Pat Torpy for Mr. Big and my longtime, longtime friend, uh, Lanny Cordola, who's in House of Lords with me. And um, I, when I found the track, I go, it just was drums and the guitar and bass. I go, this song needs to be finished. So I, you know, found the right singer for it. Uh, Whitney Ty, who's featured on it. Actually, she's on a couple other songs on the album. And um enlisted a few other people that that joined in and played on it and then i got together i there's a friend of mine that's a 3d animator i saw one of his things with these dancing egyptian figures to a michael jackson thing and right at the time i go you know what that because it was like an army of of things and and uh at the time i go yeah i'd like to do a video of this song and um i contacted him and and ruth bader ginsburg was during the period of time when she was just passing away and and i go you know what a better person to represent an army of people left behind after she passed so 
that's how that whole initiated. Then the, the video reflects 2020 and the chaos of the world. And, you know, basically that's it. And the, Bjork wrote the lyric about her brother telling him to get his act together. She didn't say act. She used the word S, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, um, for me, it's like, Hey, let's wake up world, get your act together. You know, this is, you know, there's a lot of people that believe in what's right is right. And let's deal with it. You know, That's where it came from. It's going to come out in 2022. Do you have a, like a sort of a target date? Well, I'm hoping to finish up the last, I've got five more songs to finish up that are very close and I'm hoping to finish before Christmas. And then at that point, I'd like to do one more video. I have to to decide what song is the best one to do, um, do it with. And, uh, and then I'm hoping to have the album out by March. Cool. Of next year. Now, do you have a label for this or are you putting it out yourself? I signed with uh, Cleopatra. I ran into my friend, Brian Pereira, who's the uh, CEO and president of the label and told him what I was up to and that I was in negotiation with another label and blah, blah, blah. we talked and sent him the stuff. And, and he's a, I know him. I, I worked a lot with him in the nineties doing a lot of different projects and, and, uh, and uh, we're already friends. So, you know, I said, here's listen to the music and he really liked what I was doing. And so um, yeah, it's out, it's going to be out on uh, Cleopatra. It's, it is signed and it is, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Uh, is this going to be vinyl or just CD or do you know, know what? Yeah. We'll see what happens. I, <laughs> I would love this. You know what? Um, being a graphic designer, when you had 10 inch by 10 inch to work with, and now it's down to a postage stamp because you have to get people's attention with the postage stamp size piece of art. Mm-hmm. My for army of me, it basically is the title really big with images from the video within the lettering. Um, which grabs your attention pretty good for such a small thing, you know, on Spotify and all those platforms, it's just tiny. Yeah. And back in the eighties or, or even, you know, back, back a while ago, you could go full scale and people would look for, I remember being a kid looking forward to the artwork and sure. you know, totally different experience now. Yeah. So, so you talked about uh, Pat Torpy, uh, Lanny Cordola, Ben Martin from the Jonathan Davis band is on keyboards on that song. And Whitney Ty is the vocalist. You talked about some of the other musicians on the upcoming album. You mentioned Dream Theater, which is a favorite of mine. Who did you work with? Actually, um, I did this instrumental piece at the very beginning of the pandemic called The Weight of Silence.
And I heard Derek really liked that original thing I put out was just me. You know, I just was playing everything and I edit, I taught myself how to edit and I edited together a nice video with a lot of drone footage of empty streets, empty cities, re reflecting the, the kind of sci-fi-ish world we were living in right when the pandemic hit, you know, it was post-apocalyptic kind of vibe. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember, we remember it well. So, and, it, and it, the video really captured, I mean, I, a couple of people said that it made him cry, you know. So um, anyway, I heard Derek liked the tune and, and um, at that point, Troy Lachetta from uh, from Tesla uh, reached out to me and said, man, I love your song. I'd love to play drums on it. And I never really considered it as a full band kind of sounding song. Mm -hmm. But um, I said, sure, man. And he sent me something that was phenomenal. And then um, uh, another person I know is a, a well-known jazz fusion guitarist named Alan Hines. Same thing. He heard it and asked if he'd play on it. So um, I have a new a new version of that song with a full band and Derek Sherinian came on board from Dream Theater, uh, formerly for, with Dream Theater, and, and mm -hmm. did some strings and Moog and some other instrumentation backing on it. Yeah, Derek always does good work. Oh, um, he's phenomenal. Yeah, he's yeah. Awesome. yeah. It sounds like there's a lot of different styles on this album. What, how would you categorize it if you were gonna if you're gonna put it out in the record store? What section would you put it in? Um, I guess oh, the overreaching thing is rock. But um, I definitely cover everything. There's Prague, there's Jazz Fusion. Um, like I said, I'm just now working on a Celtic piece. There's a song I loved when I was younger called Darkness, Darkness by the Youngbloods. It came out in 1969. And I'm doing a full, full Celtic kind of treatment to that. I have a couple killer heavy funk tunes that feature Jeff Scott Soto singing on one and, um, oh, nice. and Joe Retta singing on the other one, who's another phenomenal both those guys sing R&B stuff amazingly, mm -hmm. but it has a rock edge, like a living color kind of, and and uh, Chili Peppers maybe meets something. I, I don't know how else to describe it, but it the <laughs> record's definitely um, eclectic, diverse, and cinematic. I tried to like tell a story with the whole album from the way it starts, and it takes you through these different worlds and 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 feelings, and and it has a darker uh, vibe maybe um, lyrically with lot with so much loss going on so there's songs like giving up the ghost and you know when i wrote a song right when frankie benelli passed away it's, i sat down that day when i heard and um it came out just beautiful it's called uh, see you on the other side yeah i uh i had uh alex uh grossy on the show and um you know he was we, we talked a lot about frankie and and, and how great it is that frankie laid down so many drum tracks before he passed that could show up on on later quiet ride albums so that's uh that's something that fans can look forward to well that's it, it's an interesting concept let's put it that way to try to take and write a song around an existing drum arrangement part yeah with technology now it's e way easier than it used to be when you had tape to like edit and cut up an arrangement like okay here's a drum fill okay we could use that to set up this part Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah. I mean, there were discussions with that um, right before I departed the band. In fact, there was one track being passed around that we were messing with. You, you brought up the word cinematic, which uh, brings me to an interesting point in your career. You did, you did soundtrack work for the film Call the Conqueror. Well, yeah, that was that was basically different. I, I was involved in seven film scores back in the 90s. That... Um, I was hired uh, with Matt Sorum, who you might know from Guns N' Roses and the mm -hmm. Cult, and, 
And uh, I think he's currently playing with Billy Gibbons. Anyway, um, we were hired to go in and play with the London Philharmonic to do the Call of the Conqueror. They wanted to do, I guess Metallica had a, a an album out that was orchestra and, and metal. And they, they decided that they wanted to, um, to do that kind of approach for the soundtrack, something more hep and rock. And basically we did our tracks and then Leonard Philharmonic um, played to what we did. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like we were in the same room with them. Right. But I also, during that period of time, I was doing a lot of independent film work, scoring movies with Matt and Lanny, um, recording, and which was really a really fun time, very creative time. Mm-hmm. And what happens when you do something like that? Do you go to the premiere and all that stuff? Um, I did go to the premiere of Call, definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually, this is an interesting side story. Uh, one of the movies we did called Sound Man, Slash played on it and, and uh, Teddy Zigzag from Guns N' Roses. And we ended up going up to the Sundance Film Festival and performing live, playing the songs off from the movie. And the place was packed. I guess I heard that they were like people were selling tickets for ridiculous amounts of money up there because Slash was playing and Duff was there as well. And Matt Sorum was there. So it was like a Guns N' Roses thing. And the best, the funniest thing was it's so it's packed. Slash goes up and he goes, and everybody thinks they're going to hear Welcome to the Jungle, right? And this goes crazy. He goes up to the mic and goes, not going to happen, man. Not going to happen. It was pretty funny. I couldn't believe he did that. But yeah, it that that was a fun time, definitely. Awesome. You joined Quiet Riot back in 82. And a lot of people don't know this, I guess, because of when Quiet Riot became popular. But you played bass on the tracks, Metal Health, Bang Your Head, and Don't Want to Let You Go. And you sang background vocals on all the tracks in 1983 on Metal Health. What was that time like for you? Well, back in those days, we I was playing with Kevin's band, which was called Dubrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the guitar player from my band at the time, which was a prog band called Satter, we were very popular in L.A. We were the first band in history to have a Krypton laser show, you know, where you're shooting lasers off mirrors and all that mm-hmm. costume changes. It was a pretty elaborate thing, but we were a prog band and they were like signing bands like the Motels and that and, uh, you know, the Knack. That kind of thing was popular, but we still packed in when we played the clubs. Uh, so my guitar player was playing with with Kevin Dubrow and uh, uh, I forgot who Rudy had left to join Ozzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, with randy when Rand and so i was asked to join the band and started playing around the clubs and everything and recording we did a lot of demos which a lot of those became the mental health album um which a lot of people don't know a lot of that stuff were the demos that we cut and um anyway i was in the uh, in the studio and and uh, i remember being asleep on the couch and kevin uh i think it was kevin or frank he said hey it's time to do your bass track for bang your head i went oh really
okay. So I woke up and I went in there. I said, turn it up. And I, I did it in one take, except for the last note, because it's one of those where you hold it out and then mm-hmm. kaboom. So yeah, and, and uh, another memory from that was uh, in the studio with the producer and Kevin arguing, full on just arguing about doing Come On, Feel the Noise. Mm-hmm. Is that Spencer Proffer? Yeah, spent, yeah, we called him Spend Your Profits. But yeah, anyway, he, <laughs> he, uh, he and I were like arguing with Kevin going, man, I go, I, I'm saying to Kevin, I go, look, listen to all the songs. Do you hear like a commercial pop single on this record? I go, I don't. I go, we need something. And this song that, that he just played us, it's a Slade tune, mm-hmm. uh, I think would be great. We should give it a shot. And he argued against it because he didn't want any outside material. Um, but he ended up doing it, obviously, and that changed the course of probably the whole music scene and fabric of it at, during that period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, because everything turned into the you know the metal, hard rock, hair guys. You know? Yeah, and it wasn't the only time uh, Quiet Riot went to the Slade Well either. <laughs> no, you know what? I actually was really shocked. Honestly, I was called in on the second album, uh, Condition Critical, mm-hmm. to sing again. They wanted that same background sound. Mm-hmm. I ended up actually doing a bass on a track too, but when they said, "Yeah, put up Mama," and I go, "Oh, doesn't doesn't Phil Collins have a song called Mama right now?" Out, you know, like I, that's what I thought. And then when I I go, "You guys are going to do another Slade song, really?" <laughs> it was successful for them. Yeah, but to me, it's, it was kind of a, an odd choice. You know, I, I would have gone with something that <clears throat> really established them as what they're about, and there's you know, instead of doing that again, it kind of like writes them off to me. Yeah, that was my impression back yeah. then. Slade would have liked to have had that success here with those songs. <laughs> I'm telling you what, no kidding. But you know what? They still still ka-ching with when yeah. it gets played. Come yeah. on, I hear come on, feel the noise to this day. I'll be watching football, which I'm a big uh, Packers fan. But anyway, I'm watching football, and and uh, you you hear the song, the whole crowd is singing, "Come on, feel the noise," and yeah. um, and it's the same reaction when we get out there and tour. The people come, they want to relive those those happy days, you know, with those songs. Yeah, they're anthemic and they were very much of a time when, I mean, hard rock just ruled the world at that time. It, it certainly did. It, it took over. And I, I'd like to think that that song happened to kick the doors open for all these other bands like Cinderella and Rad and you name it, all everybody that they were kind of all playing the clubs, too, at the same time. But nobody had that that huge success. To, so that all the record companies go, I need a band like that. <laughs> so everybody signed bands like it was yeah. crazy. And all the guys like the bands like the Knack and the Motels, they all just went bye-bye, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of the same effect we had when Nirvana hit the scene. And, uh, you know, same kind of thing. When they hit the scene, we, it was see you guys later. Yeah. And it was almost a 10-year run though, right? Yeah. And the, the yeah, you're right. The labels just... Uh... They all glam after, glom onto the same thing. It's like this is the hot sound, so we don't have time well, for that's anything what we else. Gotta do. Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and luckily a lot of the classic rock bands hung out and hung together over all these years. And for it to come back so people want to hear it again, and it still does really well in a live environment. I know nobody really sells records anymore because nobody buys records anymore. <laughs> And you can just yeah. get it for free online. Just, um, just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Good for you. Congratulations. I know I've seen all of that. That's yeah. fantastic. But in general, you know, it's totally, it's more of a promotional item now, a record, mm-hmm. um, than than it is than it was for a financial thing. 
Yeah. You landed on your feet after Quiet Riot there. You went into Jafria. You guys had a, a big album out. Uh, went to number 26 on the, the Billboard album chart in 1985 with uh, Call to the Heart. went to number 15 on the hot 100 great song and how did you end up in jafria well um i guess they weren't happy with uh the bass player um that was on the record so i came in when the record was done basically and redid all the bass parts in it and then they asked me to join the band and um it was my first talk about breaking into your first tours my first tour is 85 we opened up with deep purple on their perfect strangers tour they just got back together so it was mm -hmm. sold out arenas and then, and then we jumped off that and gone into the Foreigners uh, uh, sold out arena tour because they had a number one song with I Want to Know What Love Is. Mm -hmm. So it was a really, really great time. I was at the right place at the right time, I guess, with that. And that song, if you look back at that chart, the Billboard chart from those days, that song was up against, like, if you had a K-Tel's biggest hits, it would, it would be that list of songs like Run to You and Like a Virgin and, and yeah. just on and on. They're all huge songs, Neutron Dance. I'm trying to remember them all, but yeah. I'm going, man, I'm, the fact that we're even in here is amazing, you know? <laughs> all those and, big MTV hits. Yeah, and I think, I honestly think that band would have done way better if it would have had a different name because people just did not grasp, what is Jafria? What is it? I remember the record company going, what, what is Jafria, bug on the wall? That's actually what Bruce said back then. And But he went along with it. And, but they were offering up wet paint as a name. So we said, okay, we'll go with Jafria. Yeah, that's, it that doesn't have the same ring as a Van Halen. <laughs> no, or you 2 even, or something. Yeah. So, I think it, it yeah. needs to be somewhat easy to grasp. But I think that was a, we were up against that. In fact, they were putting phonetically after the name how to say it. So yeah that's tough um but you know it was a, it was a successful album and and you know you left jafria in 1986 what was that like for you at that time leaving after a successful album and tour like that well the the reason i left that band was because dave isley who's still my very very close friend and i just talked to him yesterday um online both dave and greg would not let anybody else participate in songwriting mm. you know and as you know that's a big part of being a musician yeah um, and, I, and i'm a composer so um so that was and kevin kevin called me and said hey do you want to join the band you can write all the tunes with us but you know on and on and obviously quite right was at a higher level at that point than jafria by a long shot yeah and the same thing with craig goldie the guitar player he left too for the same reason because greg jafria and dave isley did not want to share with with uh with any other songwriting just the two of them so yeah it wasn't a band in the sense like that you know right right and with greg naming the band after himself that almost doesn't surprise me 
Yeah, I know. He should have, you know what? I've always thought, what would have been a good name, Greg, coming out of, of Angel, right? Mm-hmm. They should have called the band The Tower because that was like a huge song for that band and, and it's got a lot of imagery behind it. It could have been something, and everybody knows how to say The Tower. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Was there any regret of, of Jafria not doing like more like music videos and stuff? That I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to answer that question because I left after the first album. We did, mm. actually, we did uh, two, two videos and then we did uh, some videos for the movie Gotcha that came out. We did uh, a lot of the songs on the soundtrack for that movie that was a pretty big movie at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they shot some videos with us in it. Yeah, I remember seeing the Call to the Heart video. I don't think I remember, and I watched, I mean, at that point, I think I was living in front of MTV, so I don't know. I don't know yeah, how I would have missed any I, other ones. I don't think MTV jumped on anything else that the band did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Call to the Heart video, I remember that well. You sang uh, backing vocals on a 1990 album called Leader of the Band, B-A-N-N-E-D. you end up on a sam kennison record well that's also kind of an interesting story i um the i think it was uh i'm trying to think was it richie that was producing that oh anyway i i got a call to to come in and sing on on a track and then eddie money was the singer with me which was which was very cool because he's such a he was such a great guy such a, and i'd run into him in airports after that while on the road and we did actually did a couple of shows with him which is an odd pairing quiet riot and eddie money but um really sweet guy and yeah we sang we sang together on that song on the on the, the album yeah sam had a ton of big names on that album yeah i think that was the point they were just trying to like pack it with as many you know people from the era back then uh, on the album that they could but I, it was a it was a great experience uh, being able to uh, to do that, yeah. Did you get to hang with Sam during the during the recording? No, you know he, he wasn't even there. Yeah. So I know I didn't. Unfortunately, didn't get to meet him. Yeah. Hang with him. It was one of those things where they just brought you in and. Yeah. You uh, you played with I mean virtually every everybody. It's like a who's who. One of the things you did was uh, you were on the 1988 Ted Nugent album. If you can't lick them, lick them. Which is yeah, such, great title. It's such title. a Ted Nugent title. That's yeah, my favorite. I think it's my favorite album title of all I've done. It's pretty funny.
what was it like working with Ted? Because he, his public persona is so out there. Well, it's all I can say is what you see is what you get. And he is a little bit wacky um, on, <laughs> on many levels. When we would take a break, we would go and shoot some, when we're making the album, we'd go and shoot some bass hoops and he would have a full scale deer set up in the bushes way far away. And he'd have his bow and arrow out shooting at it, you know? And um, one of the things uh, I remember in the studio when I was cutting my bass, he had a pearl handled 45 automatic with him in the back of his belt that he carried. And if I overplayed, it fell on the floor. I go, I guess that means I should lighten up a little bit here. So he had a stack of Polaroids. I'm not kidding you. It was probably this high of different animal kills that he had. Like he had his little kid at the time holding a ram's head up. And it's like, I'm going, wow, he's serious. He goes, yeah, I'll stick it out. He'll stay in a tree for two days waiting for his prey to come along. But he says he eats everything that he 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 takes out. So yeah, okay, an experience definitely. Tom Worman yeah. was the producer. I remember him. A Motley Crue's record had come out, and he was just constantly looking at charts. Going, <laughs> oh yeah, what do I he was so excited about that record. You've worked with Alice Cooper, Slash, Greg Allman, a bunch of other well-known musicians. Do you? prefer that kind of variety to being in one band or is that just the way that your career is kind of gone you know what yeah it's it's been a roller coaster totally like like totally like this and, and i'm finally getting to try something on after all these years doing my own thing mm -hmm. where it's 100 i'm overseeing everything i'm producing it i'm writing most of it and i'm picking and choosing the right players for the right song and seeing if they want to do it and first of all you know hey what do you think it'd be great for this and and generally it's been perfect, you know, spot on, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it's been a roller coaster ride. Definitely. <laughs> I noticed, I can't believe you can't believe everything you read on Wikipedia, but you had, you had done some work with John Waite. What did you do with John? Oh, basically um, I was doing a, it, actually it's an unusual album. It's a Mr. Big kind of a tribute album. It's called mm -hmm. influences connections. Okay. But they're actually on it on certain tracks. So, which is kind of odd. You're doing a tribute record, but you're actually on it. And John Waite came in and I played bass on the track with him. Okay. And that's, that's basically how all I, you know, I just got to spend the, the couple days with him recording and working on arrangements and stuff. What was it like working with John? He's great. You know, I've, I've, I've had another experience where it wasn't so great, but um, you know, just, uh, but that's another story. But as far as in the studio it was fine. Yeah. So other than uh, just a scheduling conflict, have you ever said no to a request to play on an album? It seems like you're on everything that you've been asked to um, do. Actually, uh, yeah, I have. I have passed on some things if I just didn't think I was the right bass player for it, maybe. Or it's just not something I wanted to be associated with musically because mm -hmm. it was just not great, you know. Uh, but usually, most most generally, I would all, you know, do something i just did i just did a session recently for brent woods this producer guitar player plays with sebastian bach he's a great producer engineer and i went in to do a session for him one one thing i was doing sounded like the band ghost and then i did a country artist so it's and i brought two different i go what okay what am i doing okay so i need a fender bass for the country artist and then and i need my specter bass for this ghost medley kind of thing mm-hmm 
Chuck, you've done a ton of different kinds of music. It makes me really curious as to what you listened to growing up. Like, what was the first thing that grabbed you? The the very first thing? Yeah. Well, like, like most people in my age group, I would say the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I remember being a kid um, to this day with, I got a tennis racket as my guitar. And I stood up on, on, on the fireplace looking at all the shag carpets. And those were the thousands of people that I was performing for. And that was my my vision for my future, I guess, which, which has come to fruition, mm -hmm. um, you know, playing like these big festivals, like in Europe and, and here, Rocklahoma, places like that. Yeah. As a composer, do you have time to actually enjoy music, consume it as a listener? Oh yeah. Yeah. I listen to, I listen to all kinds of music. That's, that's one of the things about me is that I like so many different styles of music. You know, I was even in a flamenco band for two years i i produced two reggae records you know i'm i'm totally all over the map as yeah. far as if it's quality you know quality performances good songs done well i usually am into it you know yeah do you go for convenience and do the streaming thing these days do you still buy product it depends on if i really want the product or not but I'm basically just streaming stuff like most people do and maybe it's being just being lazy they opened <laughs> up the, they opened up the new amoeba um, in Hollywood, and I still haven't right. been there. I've been meaning to get down there. I keep going. I got to go to Amoeba, but I, you know, with the <laughs> pandemic, you don't really get out as much. You know, it's like we're yeah. still very careful. Things keep changing with it, so you know, and that's why I haven't started Ultimate Jam Night back. I don't even know if you know what Ultimate Jam Night is, but I started an event in 2015 because DJs were taking over the Hollywood music scene, mm -hmm. and, and musicians needed a place to, to gather and get together. And um, I started that and it became a huge success. And we've been at the whiskey uh, for five years, every Tuesday um, until the pandemic hit and between 45 and hundred pro musicians trying to, you know, I'm the cat herder, basically yeah. <laughs> trying, to, trying to get everybody organized. Everybody knows what song they're going to play, when they're going to be on, what key it's in, what ending they're going to do. And, you know, people have formed bands meeting there. People have gotten married. People have gotten tours. Yeah, so I'm very, I'm very proud of that, that being able to create a scene where there's a lot of growth for the music community. Well, I hope you can bring that back soon. It's been a well, yeah, I was hoping for January, you know, yeah, but uh, now we got another variant. Yeah. yeah, we were about to open in August, but then the, the uh, Delta variant hit, you know, and I don't want to be responsible for people getting ill, you know, right? Yeah, understandable. Chuck, where can people find you online and, and find your work? Well, chuckwright.com is one place. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have a Chuck Wright official page there. And I usually respond to anybody that writes me. And in general, I'm, you know, pretty approachable in that regard. But, you know, and Cleopatra Records now has a, has a thing. I have at SoundCloud that'll, um, that I just became started to do because I have my own thing now. Mm-hmm. So your project's called Chuck Wright's Sheltering Sky. Is there some significance to Sheltering Sky part of that? Well, in a way, yes. I've always felt mainly because of the what I try to do here with the musicians is kind of like an umbrella and a sheltering sky for everybody and everybody gathering. And, and in this album, having over 30 guest players, it kind of feels the same way. So, And I also like the alliteration of Wright and Sky kind of had a flow to it. So, mm -hmm. And it, it, it just conjures up nice imagery. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Chuck, I really appreciate your time today. It's been fun learning about your project and about some of your musical history. And I wish you the best of luck with the with the new Sheltering Sky project. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. Cheers. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening. <laughs>